You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Okay, so a little recap. We're doing Abraham, the friend of God, part two this evening. Um, So we're going to have a little recap from what we did last time. Um, There were four elements to the promises, which you probably remembered off by heart. Yeah, so they're the early promises on... on, uh, So there there was, um, in the grey boxes... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's referring to who, which man? Ooh, nearly, sort of. <laughs> Made possible in Jesus, Rod. It was referring to a man called Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, and well done, because we haven't quite got his name changed. That's tonight's class. Abraham. Last week I made a right mess of referring to Abraham and Abraham interchangeably, which is a little confusing. So this is referring to Abraham. And uh, you're right there, Rod. It was all, all of these promises that God made to Abraham are only made possible in Jesus. Um, And and Sean has told us that in Abraham, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, He will bless them that curse thee and curse him that curse... Bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. So there is a relationship here to people and and their response to Abraham and to his descendants. Um, Do you remember whether or not this only uh, refers to his, his natural descendants? Did we touch on that last week? I think we did. We're only talking about his own natural family, or does it include others as well? Gentiles. Yeah, it includes Gentiles as well. That's right. And can anybody remember why why um, we we touched on briefly why God had chosen? Well, well, no, we touched on why Abraham as a character in the Bible is so significant. What was it that was so remarkable about Abraham? We may were at pains to point out that Abraham. God didn't, didn't speak to Abraham because of anything inherently about him as an individual. He becomes famous not because he was a greater human being than anybody else in, in the human sense of the, of the word. What was so great and so remarkable that the scriptures teach us about Abraham? Yeah, it was his response to God's word. And we made the point, didn't we, that um, Abraham is a great man and I don't want to take anything away from him. But, but God called to him like he's called to many people through the ages, through the centuries, like he is today, speaking to us in his word, the Bible, calling to us, saying, I've got a message for you. This message is a message of hope. I'm going to make promises. And it's down to each of us individually to make the choice that Abraham made. Do we listen and respond in faith? Or do we ignore it and dismiss it as, as, as nothing? So Abraham is, is remarkable because he responded to God's word with action and he did so, uh, and he believed it was true and he did so faithfully. So these on the slides then are the sort of uh, key points um, that we remembered. Abraham was uh, from Ur of the Chaldees. We touched on the fact that it was a, uh, a prosperous place, a developed place, a place of civilization and culture. Um, and yet Abraham was prepared to leave it all behind was it just the place that he left behind, or did he leave something else behind? Family, family, yeah, and there was something else that was also more important than all of that. What significantly did he turn his back on? 
the worshipping of false gods. Yeah, he left behind the false system of belief. Um, it says in Joshua that he left the idols on the other side of the flood, by which he refers to the river Euphrates that was known to flood in that region, um, and crossed over. And they come down into the promised land, doesn't he? So this all happened about 4,000 years ago. God called him to come out into a place. He didn't even know where he was going. He becomes a nomad for many, many years. Um, God gives him these promises that we've just reminded ourselves of, um, that he would have uh, descendants, both a singular descendant, which is Isaac, which we're going to think about this evening, but that also he would have a, a whole family that would include non, non-Jews as well, Gentiles as well. Um, and in, in Abraham, therefore, all the families of the earth would find a blessing. And we touched on Abraham's obedience, that he was really obedient to God's word. And uh, he leaves there with his immediate family, his father, Terah, his nephew Lot, and they come and lodge in a place of Haran. And then uh, Haran um, dies when Abraham is 75 years old. And then Abraham and Lot together uh, come down into what we now know as um, the land of Israel. Um, that, that section of land that I can see Sean is looking at in the workbook um, also known, of course, as, as the Levant in other uh, sort of secular sources. Um, it is today, as we know, a much contested place. And yet God has promised that land to Abraham and to his families uh, and those that would join themselves to that family. And that from there, God will set up a worldwide kingdom centered on which city in the land of Israel? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's right. It will become the city of the great king when the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest son of Abraham, rules over a worldwide kingdom of peace. That's, that is the, the promise of the Bible. That's the hope of Israel as it comes to know. We, we saw that briefly uh, Abraham went down into Egypt and then came back up into the land of Canaan. Um, and we also uh, looked at the fact that Sarai, his wife, couldn't have children. And yet God had made this promise about his offspring. Um, so coming on to today's class then, um, we, we move on through uh, the, the workbooks, um, which will be about page, did you say it was page 70? 76, thanks Tim. Um, we're going to uh, look at what the scriptures say here um, about Hagar, who was Sarai's handmaid. And through um, Hagar, Abraham and Sarai thought this would be the way God wanted them to raise up this, this family. But that wasn't quite to be the case. Now, bear in mind, these people are getting old. Uh, arguably, they're already old. Um, by Bible standards, they're not terribly old. Nevertheless, they are still old and still beyond the age of childbearing, naturally speaking. Sarai um, is 10 years younger than Abraham, so she's about 75. Abraham, about 85. And um, she presumed, therefore, that she could just never have children. And so she gives... Hagar, her handmaid, to Abraham and asks Abraham to raise up seed through her. Okay, so um, she does have a child and she calls his name, what? What's Ishmael, okay. Now, we're not going to do any any detail on this, of course, but um, Abraham is counted as the father of three great, or three large world religions. I'll temper the word great. Um, I think there is only one truth, and I think it's revealed in the scriptures as the word of God. Nevertheless, that they are large and, and sort of long-running religions, and they all trace their, their origins back to Abraham. 
Um, of course, Judaism and Christianity go back through Isaac, um, but the father of the Arab peoples is Ishmael. And, um, of course, those who practice the Muslim faith would trace their lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. And so Ishmael, my, my point about that is actually the fact that he is also um, one of the, uh, well, he's a progenitor of a very large group of people, but those people are not the seed of promise according to the scriptures, unless, of course, they join the faith of Abraham, which is open to all people. In Acts chapter 7, it's clear that God has made of one blood all the nations upon all the face of the earth. And so we make no discrimination. And um, the Bible makes it really clear that it's Jew or non-Jew that can, that can join uh, in the hope of Israel. But Ishmael then is the, is the natural father of a long uh, line of a large family of descendants, which is largely the Arab peoples. Um, that's who Ishmael is. So 13 years later... Um, Abraham is now 99 years old, and um, God repeats the promises to Abraham. So even though he's got a son now, um, it is his own son, of course, but it's not a son through Sarah, um, uh, God reiterates this promise. Um, and this is in Genesis chapter 17 now, and from um, verse 2. <coughs> Super. Thanks very much, Sean. So this is God speaking again to Abraham, and he's, he's reconfirming the promises he's already made. Remember, what's the word that we use, the Bible uses for a solemn promise, beginning with C? Covenant. Covenant. Solemn promise. Uh, covenant. Right at the end of last week's session, when we covered loads of ground, we briefly um, looked at the fact that there was a, an animal sacrifice, and that there were parts laid out, Blood was shed, and both the lamp which represented God and Abraham walked past through these pieces. Um, the point about that is that all covenants in Scripture are cut, they are made with blood. And, and the pattern for that um, uh, is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose own, the, the new covenant, the new promise, the promise by which all the promises could be made possible, um, is established in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So although we don't, we're not called to make animal sacrifices now, it seems a bit barbaric as we mentioned last week, covenants are cut. So this is no just arbitrary statement. This is a solemn promise. And what is in this, these verses, what's the token of that covenant? What's the, what's, what does God do to Abraham <coughs> that underscores this covenant? What does he do to his name? Calls, calls him Abraham. Calls him Abraham. So now Abraham, or Avram, means uh, something like exalted father. Av is the Hebrew for father. Ram, something which is of a height. Avram. And it becomes Avraham, um, which is father of what? What does it say here in verse 5? Father of many nations. Yeah, father of many nations. So God changes his name to, to really underscore the point that this promise is definitely going to happen. Even Abraham's name is going to go around. And every time somebody refers to him, he's going to be reminded, isn't he, as he hears it, of the covenant that God has made. He's going to make you a father of many nations. Well, what nations are those? Well, those are the nations in which they will be blessed in you. Well, where are we going to live? Oh, we'll have a land. You see how just a name change would trigger so many memories of what God has promised him. And Abraham, of course, continues to believe in God. And we know that he believed these things because the New Testament refers to him 
verse 22, as you've got it open there anyway, it also says, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's a really interesting pattern for us, isn't it? We're called to believe in things which seem, humanly speaking, hard to believe. We're asked to believe in a God that's always been there, has had no beginning and will have no end. That's quite hard to believe. We've got to believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was risen from the dead. That's quite hard to believe, isn't it? It's, not, it's against the normal experience of things. People don't come back to life in our human experience. We're asked to believe that he, he's going to come back and set up a worldwide kingdom. That, that's not happened before. There's been empires, sure. There's never been a worldwide kingdom when all nations have been subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to believe in these things. Not a blind faith. Not blind at all, because many of the things God has said would happen in the past have happened. So we've got confidence in that. But you see, Abraham believed these things, even though, humanly speaking, he was beyond it. Sarah was past childbearing age, humanly speaking. But he's fully convinced he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But he strengthened in faith. Now, that's important to remember that he never wavered, because in a minute we're going to see that he laughed. And we're going to realise that that laughter of Abraham isn't a laughter of mockery or doubt. It's, 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 it's a laugh of a different kind altogether. So Abraham continues to believe God. Now, Abraham's not the only person that has his name changed. Um, Sarai is also going to have her name changed. So what's Sarai's name going to be changed to? Sarah. Sarah. And what does God say that he's going to do through Sarah in those verses that we've just read? Yep. Mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. And these are the things that God are going to do. I will bless her. I will bless her. Twice in verse 16. Now, we've got here on the screen just an interesting little illustration of what's happening in the Hebrew. Now, I am not a Hebrew expert by any means. I barely know my way around the alphabet. But this is a little bit interesting. And I'm going to just show it to you uh, as best I can. On, on the left-hand side here, as you look at it, we've got the Hebrew. Remember, Hebrew goes right to left, whereas English goes left to right. Hebrew goes right to left. So we've got Aleph, we've got Vet, we've got Resh, which is an R backward, and then we've got the final M. And the letter that changes is this one here. Can you see? Which is the letter, Hebrew letter, He. So it goes from Avram to Avraham, with this letter of the, the ha sound of the letter He. And we've got the same letter being inserted into Sarah's name. So where have we got the seen, the resh, and the yod? In this case, we don't have an insertion. The yod here is replaced with the hey. So it goes from serai, the ya sound at the end, to serah, with the ha sound at the end. Now, as to why that is, that is beyond my capabilities to tell you. However, what I suggest to you is it links to, in some way, well, likely links to God's own name, Yahweh, which has this letter, h, or hey. Sorry? It's not, it's not, yeah, it's, it's a letter hey, strictly, but it makes a, a he sound. Um, and, and that has it in, in Yahweh, has it twice, it appears twice. In the four consonants of God's own name, it comes twice. And it's interesting that in both Abraham and Sarah's name change, we've got, God says, I will make you a father of many nations. And here, I will bless you. Now, God's name means I will be, and it's to do with his, uh, his covenant and his there's a covenant with his own name which is going to bring salvation to, to the whole earth. And I, I wonder, therefore, and I am wondering, and, and a bit of speculation for anyone that's listening, you know, 
by all means, uh, by all means correct me, but there is a consistency to the name changes. There is only one letter that is, is, is included in both names, and that consonant happens to be two, occur two times of the four consonants in God's own name. And I suggest, therefore, that we are to, to, to read this as God being, token, being a token of God's covenant. He changes their name so they are reminded of the covenant, and they are a covenant that will only be possible by what God has said he will do, being accomplished, of course, in his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's as much as I can do on the Hebrew, and I've probably even overreached in that regard. But um, if nothing else, it is a material fact that they both have that letter, hey, in their name, and if you disagree with the rest of it, then that's, that's totally fine. Um, but he changes their names and links it to the covenants that he makes with them, the promises that he makes to both Abraham and to Sarah. Sarah, I mean something like princess, and, and it's thought that, that Sarah has this possessiveness. She's going to be God's princess, and through her, God is going to raise up kings. The greatest king of all, of course, comes through Sarah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's described as king of kings and lord of lords. Um, so there is a possessive element to this, and there's also uh, related to what God has promised he will do. Now, after this time, angels come and visit Abraham and Sarah, as they are now called, and that I'm now safely able to refer to them as, without making a slip of the tongues. Um, and they, uh, when they appear to Abraham first, um, he doesn't know that they're angels. He just thinks that they're strangers, strangers wandering through the desert, and so he looks to provide for them. Um, and he prepares them a meal. But the most important part of this section is that they have a message for Abraham. So let's look at Genesis 18, verses 9 to 12. That's great. Thanks, Rod. I, I, I think it's worth just finishing that little section. So I'll do that. Um, verses 13 to 15. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he, the angel, said, no, but you did laugh. You see, Abraham never doubted, but Sarah did have a little bit of doubt at this point. And she's not mocking, but she's like, really? Is that, is that really possible? Just that little bit of doubt, which is so natural, isn't it? So understandable. And yet God is able to fulfil what is promised, which is what? What here has Sarah been promised of her own? What are those verses promised? A son, that's right. And um, his name is going to be called Isaac. And just as the angel had promised, so it happens. She falls pregnant, and then according to the time of life, nine months later, thereabouts, Isaac is born. Now, um, Isaac, Yitzhak, um, I think I'm right in saying, means laughter. Which is interesting, isn't it? It reflects or mirrors the laughter that Sarah had. You know, really? Is that, really? Is that possible? But also, of course, it's got this element of we laugh when we're happy, don't we? And it's a sound of laughter, which is a sound of a, of a happy room. Um, and, and the rejoicing that is possible in Isaac. Now, it comes on uh, in time that, remember, what was the other son that, that, uh, that Abraham had through Hagar? Ishmael. Well done, Rod. Ishmael. Ishmael now and Isaac are growing up together, and um, Ishmael 
is not entirely pleased with this arrival on the scene, like many children who are the, the firstborns aren't entirely thrilled by the prospect of having a sibling on the, on, on the scene, even though they are from separate mothers. And uh, he is seen to be making fun of Isaac and he's mocking him. And Sarah is caused to proclaim quite a harsh, what appears to us to be quite a harsh pronouncement, um, that uh, the, um, the, bond, the son of the bondwoman, so the son of her handmaid Ishmael, sorry, the son of her handmaid Hagar, cannot be uh, growing up with Isaac, and she causes them to be cast out. That's there on, in your slides there in Genesis 21. Um, and it's, we've got to remember, of course, that, that it's in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That's there in Genesis 21, verses 12 and 13. Thank you very much. So Abraham's quite distressed at this situation. Sarah said, these two boys are not going to grow up together. She must be gone. Hagar must go. Ishmael must go. And God says to Abraham, look, don't, don't be sad at this case. God is almost implying here early on to Abraham that this is of his will. This is the right thing to be done, Abraham. Sarah has spoken right. But don't worry. I'm also going to make of him a great nation. And we've touched on that. That's the Arab peoples, isn't it? And so the point is brought home to Abraham that it's in Isaac shall these promises be fulfilled. So the question is then, who is the seed of Abraham that is spoken of in the promises? Who is the offspring that is spoken of in the promises? Careful here. Uh, you're, you're getting way ahead of us, right? <laughs> let's, let's rewind a little bit. You're right. Ultimately, of course, you're right. Um, but who is it specifically in this first instance? Isaac. Isaac, yeah? Yeah? So it's in Isaac shall they see be called. Now, the, we can see that in Galatians chapter 3. For time, let's read that off the screen. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So he's talking about an individual. In the first instance, this was Isaac, not Ishmael. And Isaac then is foreshadows, as Rod has told us again, Jesus. But the question then comes, well... Who is, um, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, that's where I wanted to be. So the question is then, how does that promise translate into all the families of the earth to be blessed? You see the problem? How do we understand that to be true? How can they both be true? How can it be both an individual, but then also including lots of others? This is where we are now going to grasp more of the significance of these promises. We learned what they were last week. This week we're really learning what they're all about. Well, it's because, again, Galatians chapter 3 has got the answers. It's on the screen again for time. But it says here, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what are those verses saying? Well, in short, um, the seed singular that was promised to Abraham is Isaac. And that looked forward to God's own son. Just as the father Abraham had one son through Sarah, Isaac, so God the father only has one begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who believe in Jesus, without distinction, this is open to anybody. When it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, clearly there is Jews, naturally, and there are non-Jews. 
There are clearly those that were once slaves and in a period of time when there were others who weren't slaves. And today there are clearly people who are male and there are people who are female. But the point is that the offer of salvation is open to all without distinction, without discrimination. Um, because as many of us as join ourselves to the hope of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we too are counted as offspring of Abraham and heirs, inheritors of the promises that God made to him. We join, as it were, adopted into the family of Abraham, which is the family of God. That's the meaning and the relevance to each of us. You know, Sean was talking about the New Testament last week and, and how it's easier in many ways to follow and pick up the, the hope in Jesus. But you can see from this how that we can't really understand the hope of salvation in Jesus without really understanding, first of all, the promises that God had made to Abraham. Because this is the significance. In Jesus, we join the family of Abraham and we become inheritors of the promises made to him. And that's, that's a huge offer. It's open to everybody without distinction. And the promises have not yet been fulfilled, and that's there in Acts chapter 7, which we can, I'll leave you with, um, with homework there. Just, just the lines underlined there. Acts chapter 7 is recapping the history of the nation of Israel through a man called Stephen. And the point is here that even though God has promised Abraham the land, and he promised him that he would see his descendants like the stars of heaven and like the sand upon the seashore, Abraham himself hadn't seen it with his own eyes. He didn't have a portion of the land. He didn't have the land of Israel to call his own. God gave him none inheritance in it. And so how does Abraham receive the promises himself? Well, the only way that can happen is if, if he's raised from the dead. Uh, and the point there is made in, in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 20, that the dead will be raised. Um, now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham. How can he be if Abraham's dead? It's going to be the case that Abraham will be raised back to life. He'll be given the land. He will see all of these multitudes that have been brought into his family. He'll see the worldwide kingdom ruled over by his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question for us is, well, what basis can non-Semites be Abraham's seed? And that's by our faith, right? We are not natural descendants of Abraham, but we can become his children by our faith by us responding to God's word just like Abraham responded to God's word and that's how the multitude of Abraham's family will be uh, will be built up there we go okay so we're going to look now at the allegory of Hagar and Sarah now I have to say I think this is going to be quite a complicated little section to work our way through um, so I'm very happy at any point for you to stop me ask any questions and we'll spend a bit more time if we need to also if it goes way over your head okay maybe a bit of reading of the notes again at home might not be a bad idea because I do think it's a little bit complicated okay but we'll see from your notes we've got this idea the birth of Ishmael and Isaac as an allegory or representation of future events and this is something which is picked up in the New Testament if we didn't have the New Testament I think it's fair to say that well, no one would have spotted this or no one would have picked this up at all. It's only, I think, because it's brought out for us in the New Testament that we've got any idea that this sort of pattern or little story uh, exists. So if you're able to, you can either look in your notes or um, in your Bibles. We need to find Galatians and chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at Hagar and Sarah 
and their two descendants. So, Barney's been talking at great length about these two. Who was the descendant of Hagar? Who was Hagar's descendant? The father of the, the Arab peoples. Thank you, Rod. Yeah, it was Ishmael. So Ishmael is the descendant of Hagar. And who was the descendant of Sarah? Isaac. Thank you. So we've got Hagar and Ishmael, Isaac and Sarah. Okay. And for this pattern, for this little um, representation, we sort of need to forget about the idea of Jews and Arabs because we're going to be looking at something which is slightly different, which is to do with the law of Moses and freedom which is in Christ, okay? So, the law of Moses was a law which God gave to his people Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, we haven't really got there in our timeline yet in the Bible. We're still back with, um, back with Abraham. But we might know that God's people Israel went down into Egypt and then were brought out again from slavery and into the wilderness. And it was there that God gave them the law, the law of Moses, and if you just look in your in your notes um, on page um, page eighty one, you'll see here that it talks about the Mosaic Law. Um, just underneath the uh, the section of Scripture from Galatians, it says the two mothers of Abraham's sons represent the two covenants of God with His people. Hagar, who was the Egyptian, represented the Mosaic covenant, which had applied up until the days of Jesus. The Mosaic law was wholly just and good, but its purpose was to highlight the exceeding sinfulness of sinful nature. So Hagar here is representing the law of Moses, the thing that represents or demonstrates to us sin. So that's Hagar on the one side. And then carrying on in the next little paragraph, as we have seen the covenant with Abraham, which was before the law of Moses, carried the promise of resurrection to inherit the land and of future blessings to the peoples of the earth. And this is represented by Sarah. So our two women here, Hagar represents the law, which was about sin. And then we have Sarah, who represents the covenant of promise with Abraham, and that was to do with resurrection. And it's a bit of a, not a great way to look at it maybe, we've got on one side good and one side not so good, even though that's maybe not the best way uh, to refer to these things. But if you're in, um, in Galatians, let's read together the passage that we've got there on the screen. So it's Galatians 4, verse 24. Okay, so Mount Sinai was where Israel went, having come out of Egypt, to receive the law of Moses. Which of the women that we've been looking at is represented by the law of Moses? Hagar, okay? She was the one who gave birth to Ishmael, who was not to be the true seed. Okay, so now we've got introduced another little complication to our story, our record, this idea of Jerusalem, which is now, and then Jerusalem, which is above, which is free. But just think of it in terms of Jerusalem, which is now, is to do with the law of Moses, and then the Jerusalem, which is above, which is free, is to do with the covenant of Abraham. In fact, if I move on. I think it might be helpful just to see it laid out here. And you'll see all the different sides of the pattern which are brought out for us. So you see on the left you've got Hagar and on the right we've got Sarah. So Mosaic Covenant versus the Abrahamic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant to do with death, 
the Abrahamic covenant, as we saw earlier on, was to do with resurrection. Okay, and then we've got Jerusalem on one side and Jerusalem on the other. The idea of sin on one side, but then on the other with Sarah, the idea of condemnation or being free from condemnation. We've got the idea of Ishmael then on the one side to do with bondage and death. And then on the other side, Isaac to do with resurrection. And Barney's been talking about the idea of resurrection that comes with Abraham. And we saw, and again, Barney talked about it, the persecution of those who are free by those who are in bondage. And at the time of Jesus, we see this a lot with the persecution of those who were the disciples of Jesus by those who were under the law of Moses. Um, and we see that how the apostles in the first century really struggled to get that message of the gospel out because of the persecution that they faced from the Pharisees, those who, according to this allegory, are represented by Hagar. Okay, now, let's just go here. Uh, finally, the children of the flesh are cast out and the children of the promise will outnumber those of the flesh. That's a quote there from Isaiah, which sort of links those ideas together. But that's a little pattern, a little picture that's picked up in the New Testament um, that is, is very, very difficult perhaps to get our heads around, but sort of an indication of the power of the Scripture and how we can look into lots and lots of different records that we might think are, are quite simple, maybe a Sunday school story even, and then suddenly, when we peel back the layers, there's an awful lot which is, which is going on there. Now, I always like this, a slide that begins to avoid a misunderstanding, because that means this possibility that we have created misunderstanding. Um, so, the children of the flesh here are not confirmed to Ishmaelites, not just uh, the descendants of Ishmael. Okay? Um, anybody, as Barney has been saying, can be part of the, the children of promise. So, just because you are an Arab, a, a natural descendant of Ishmael, that does not exclude you from being a child of promise. This is, I guess, all there in symbol, really. And, okay, so God has an important part for the nation of Israel in the future kingdom. Those who are the descendants of Isaac naturally still have a special and important part in God's plan. So, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Have a look in your notes at home, perhaps read and reread them. Um, try and get your head around them. That being said, I do think it's quite a complicated concept and not necessarily something that we need to uh, particularly worry about at this stage. Okay, we're going to go back to Genesis now, back to the history. So let's just remind ourselves, who was it that was the child of promise? It was Isaac who was the child of promise and he was so important because Abraham had been told, well you are going to become the father of many nations. How could that happen? Well, it was going to be through Isaac, who, remember, they had to wait so long to be born. But then we come to a record which, you know, on the face of it, is perhaps going to end the promises to Abraham. So, we need to be finding for ourselves Genesis chapter 22. And we've talked already about the great faith that Abraham demonstrated, first of all, in, in leaving his home of Ur of the Chaldees, and then we saw his great faith in believing the promise that God had made, that he was going to have a son, even though he was, what was he, 85, did we say, at one stage, and then 99 when the promised seed came. So a really old man, but kept his faith. And then we come to Genesis chapter 22. Um, 
just in your heads for me, uh, make sure I'm, yeah, in your heads for me, can you read verses 1 to 3, and then in uh, 30 seconds or so, or in a minute, just tell me what it is that's potentially disastrous here that Abraham is asked to do. So Genesis 22, and just read verses 1 to 3 in your heads. Okay, so if you've had a chance to read, have a little think. What's, I, what's Abraham been asked to do here that seems incredible? Right, he's been asked to sacrifice his only son. He's waited years and years and years for Isaac to be born. And then, not many years later, he's asked to go and sacrifice him. Why is that going to be such a problem when we're thinking about the promises to Abraham? If he was to kill the only son of promise. Unbelievable, sure. <laughs> what was going to be, if he was to kill Isaac, what was going to be the problem with that when it comes to the, the promises that have been made? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to end it, isn't it? Okay. But again, we're thinking about the faith of Abraham here. No arguing. I'll just read the next little bit to you, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So there's nothing about Abraham here that says, oh, hang on a second, I can't kill Isaac because he's the promised seed. Okay, no arguing at all, off he goes. He rises up early in the morning and takes Isaac with him and the wood for the burnt offering. Now, of course, this is not the end of the story. Okay, there's quite a bit here that we could read in uh, Genesis chapter 22. But having followed all the commands that God has given him, um, we can see if you just cast your eyes down to uh, verse 10, we see, a sorry, verse 9, we see Abraham builds an altar. He lays Isaac on the altar. In verse 10, he's got his hand outstretched with a knife in it to slay his son. Just think about what that meant for Abraham in terms of this is his only son, the one through whom the promises were going to come. But... It doesn't happen. Thanks very much, Rod. I very much enjoyed your, your call of Abraham there. That was, that was excellent. So, thank you. It doesn't happen. God, real, well, God has seen now the great faith that Abraham is able to demonstrate. And so an, an angel says, look, you do not need to, to lay your hand on the lad. I know that you fear me. And so uh, the record continues down to uh, verses uh, 16 through to 18, which is the reference you've got there on the screen, um, that uh, another sacrifice is, is provided. And then these promises are reiterated. So we saw it at the time um, around the birth of Isaac, that the promises are given. And again here, the same promise that we see repeated, okay, this idea of, of a blessing, about a multiplication of descendants. okay, And then... If you just have a look, it's the bit that's, under, you can see it on there, uh, the bit that's underlined, um, talking about one particular seed um, at the end of verse 17, and your descendant shall possess the gate of their enemies. So looking way down into the future now from the time of Abraham, who might that be referring to that's talking about this one person who is going to possess the gate of his enemies? That's going to... Thanks, Sean. Yeah, looking forward to Jesus. Now, think about this. We're way back in Genesis at this point. Okay, 
Jesus is not for a few thousand years, and yet we can see Jesus being brought out in the things that we are looking at. Now, something for us to think about. How did Abraham think that God would solve the problem of a dead Isaac? God had made these promises to Abraham. You are going to have a son. You are going to have many, many descendants. And then on the next chapter, on the next page, please take this, your son that you've been given and kill him. Abraham knew there was going to be a way out. What do you think the way out was? If Abraham was, did kill Isaac, what, would, what did Abraham believe would be the way out? In your notes, you will see there is a reference to Hebrews chapter 11. So this is possibly going to be our, our final reference for this evening. Because bound up in all of this is the hope that is there for every believer. It's Hebrews chapter 11. I'm struggling to find it myself here. Hebrews 11. If you're there and can find a shout out, page number. Yeah, I've got it. Um, so no, beat your belly. 105, well, 1,704, if you've got a. Ah. Sorry, you've got, you've got the same as me, Sean, I think. Yeah, I've got 1705, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, Hebrews 11 is a remarkable chapter, and in your own time, spend some time reading it and looking through and see who's mentioned there. I'm sure we've been here before when we've been talking about Noah, for example. But here, we're told of the faith of Abraham. And it's verses 17 uh, through to 19 that we want to read. Uh, note here how it's written. By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The way that's written here, it sounds like it actually happened, doesn't it? It says that he, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. So, in some senses, it was like it did actually happen. But what did he conclude in verse 19 that God would be able to do? If he had had to go through with it, what was God able to do to Isaac? And that's the idea of resurrection, isn't it? That's the, the hope that's there for, for everybody. So, just gonna, going to whiz through this. Um, it, I'm just going to put them up on the screen, really, not refer to them particularly. Again, you've got these things in your notes, um, so you know, by all means spend a bit of time uh, going to look through at these. Um, but we're looking forward to, again, another pattern to do with Jesus. So here, we've got Abraham being prepared to sacrifice his only son. Well, we can look forward to and link that with the sacrifice of Jesus that God did sacrifice his only son. So again, even though we're, we're way back in Genesis, there are things that are always pointing forward to Jesus. And it shows you know, the incredible richness that there is there in the Bible. And so you've got the willingness of Isaac and the willingness of Jesus. Always something to look out, look out for when you're reading your Bibles, these numbers that keep on coming up. You've got mention of three days there with um, Abraham and Isaac. And of course we know... Um, about the three years of Jesus' ministry, and as well, the three days uh, in the tomb. And then, finally on the slide, this idea of resurrection. Isaac was received from the dead again, as if he had been dead, but he was raised, and so, of course, we know the sort of the cornerstone, in some senses, of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. And so we see there, Jesus actually rose from the dead. And... 
you know, it's interesting to note both events took place almost in exactly the same place. Okay, this region of Moriah we know to be in the area of Jerusalem. Okay, and so got the last little bit there. God provided Jesus as a sacrifice for sin as also the ram in the typical enactment. Now, we didn't refer to that particularly in the record, but there was a ram who, um, who ultimately was sacrificed um, instead of Isaac. Okay. On to the summary. Just makes mention again of the great faith of Abraham. Um, I'm sure last week we referred to just how frequently Abraham comes up in the Bible, you know, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New. Okay, because, you know, the great example of faith that he, uh, he demonstrated. And again, the promise is made that he would have a seed. Through this seed, all families of the earth would find a blessing. So we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And then for all the families in the earth, those who will be baptised into him. And then we've got this, this other side, um, the idea of the, the natural seed who would inherit the land of Canaan or Israel. And then... Um, talking there about the seed possessing the gate of his enemies, again pointing forward to Jesus. And the fact that these promises haven't been fulfilled is, is really a blessing for us, isn't it? Because that means that we now have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to take part in these things. And so we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And we're waiting for the resurrection of the dead, as is referred to in the Bible a number of times. And part of that resurrection will be Abraham, of course, uh, due to the, the great faith that he demonstrated. Complicated, we looked at Hagar and um, Sarah and the allegory that goes along with that. Um, and we've referred to Abraham's seed being Christ. Okay, and I'll just read that last little bit. Those in Christ become heirs of the promise made to Abraham, including resurrection and inheritance of the land of Canaan, and a leading role in bringing the blessings upon all nations of the earth in the future. So lot, lots in there, okay, but a, a great blessing that's there for, you know, as it says there at the end, the true Christian hope. The, the true Christian has really remarkable things to, to think about and to look forward to. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.